a dear friend, Lacey Sanford. Where'd she go? Oh. Um, and she's a, she has been, she was part of our MOPS for many years, a while back. <laughs> um, okay, so Lacey, we're just, we want to welcome her this morning. She has been married to her husband, Michael, for 20 years this fall. They have three boys, Evan, Lane, and Jace, and they currently live in Tennessee. Their boys grew up at Cape Bible Chapel, and both Michael and Lacey came to Saving Faith here at the chapel. So we can give Lacey a welcome. Good morning, guys. Thank you, Danny, for the introduction. Yeah, she, was, she asked me to write the bio, and she said, 20 years, whoa, we're old. I said, I'm just really thankful that I don't have the grandma uh, title yet. Yes, you did. You said that we were old for 20 years. I'm okay with that. <laughs> not a grandma title yet. So yes, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Lacey Sanford, and I have been married to Michael for 20 years this October. We're excited to plan a little getaway soon. Um, I have three boys, Evan, Lane, and Jace. Um, we could go to our family portrait and I'll show you how big they are. They've officially, I think that was a year ago, so they've officially outgrown all of us in height. Uh, two teenagers who have really um, ramped up my prayer life lately, <laughs> and an 11-year-old, Jace. He's easy for now. We live in Tennessee, but our family grew up in this church, um, and it will always be home to us. So it's good to be here at Cape Bible Chapel. It's hard to believe that over a decade ago I was a mom of a preschooler. I know that this ministry has expanded and I love uh, the new vision for it, that it's not just mamas of preschoolers. We need support and community and fellowship all stages of life, especially I think in the teenage years. I was searching for friends when I was a new mama uh, for people who were in the same stage that I was in and I just needed support in motherhood. So my cousin, who was just a few years ahead of me in the parenting stage, told me about a ministry called Mops of Preschoolers that was held at Cape Bible Chapel. And the rest is history. I have met lifelong friends here who have walked me through so many ups and downs. And they're my prayer warriors. They speak truth to me when I need to hear it. And I'm humbled to be here speaking to other moms. I pray that my words are encouraging and that will be used for his glory. So when I attended my first MOPS meeting, if anyone were to ask me if I was a Christian, I would have said yes, without hesitation. After all, I knew who Jesus was. I had been raised in church. I had a good family, experienced youth conferences, and I'd gone through confirmation during my teenage years at the church that we attended. Uh, when I became, when I met my husband, we became married at his grandpa's Lutheran church, since that was the denomination that I had grown up in, and it was familiar to us. And then later, we joined a church, a Lutheran church here in Cape, where we started attending in our early years of marriage. Later on, a good friend, Katie Roth, uh, and I were discussing both of our uh, backgrounds, and she said something to me that really stuck with me. She said, you know, even Satan knows who Jesus is. And that hit me really hard. Because we can know all about Jesus, and he might not ever know us. In Matthew 7, some very hard words are, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
After three years of marriage, we had our first child. My husband had just gotten his degree, and he landed a good job here in Cape, and I began the role of stay-at-home mom. It felt like life was falling into place with all of my visions of what life should look like. I'm a very type A person, so had my 10-year plan all laid out. <laughs> and I began to crave mom time, and mops felt like a great way to meet moms. The child care was a big, big blessing. I needed a break for a few hours. We can get an amen with that. And I needed to be fed, fed. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many was here for Deb Davies' crepes. Those were fantastic. I missed, <laughs> I missed our crepes. I didn't realize that God would use mops to be the biggest blessing in my life. He inter mops introduced me to Jesus, not the Jesus that I thought I knew, but to a friend who will never leave or never forsake me, to my Lord and to my Savior. So I don't have a date on the calendar when I could pinpoint exactly when I became a true born-again Christian. I know some people know exactly when and where they were when they surrendered to who God is and what he has done for them. I want to tell you, God is so personal that each of our testimonies are unique and special, and not one testimony is more powerful than the other. We all go from darkness to light. We all go from death to life. There is no boring testimony. We don't have to go from being a drug addict or a murderer to a missionary to have a story that makes others say, wow, look what they have been through and overcome. What a testimony. It says in Luke 15, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So even our children who come to Christ at a young age, that is an amazing testimony. The angels in heaven are singing for their souls. If you are sitting here today, you have a story. If someone asks you in conversation, tell me more about yourself, we would give a little background information. We may talk about our accomplishments or our family or our job, but would Jesus be part of your story? Would you be able to tell them about your Jesus and how much he means in your life? Because that is the most important story. He has written my name in his book of life, and he knows me, and he calls me by name. The introduction chapter of my story is nothing exciting, but let me introduce you to the hero of my story. You see, I did not know that I needed a hero. I did not know I needed saving, and I did not know what I needed to be saved from. I had some Baptist friends growing up, and they would come to school, and they would talk a little about getting saved over like a VBS week or like over a weekend retreat, and that was all I really knew about the word saved. I think sometimes Christians use words that we get used to speaking like born again and saved and we forget that so many do not understand and we are ashamed to admit that or to go to someone and ask those questions. But we can go to his word for anything that we need to know. In John 3.3 3 it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, and I learned this from our pastor Eric, if he says truly, truly in scripture that means listen up, listen up, I say to you, unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. But saved from what? 1 Thessalonians 1.10 said, And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So Jesus delivers us from the wrath that is to come. We are being saved from God's wrath and from his judgment. So for years I had a view of God almost like a grandpa. I did not have any problem seeing him as loving or as a father figure. 
When I began learning more about God's holiness and his wrath, which you can not see far into, you don't have to read too far into the Old Testament to see, I began to truly understand that why the wages of sin, the cost and punishment of our sin, has to be death. God's wrath is holy and it's always justified. And it's perfectly justified because his plan is holy and his plan is perfect. He has provided a way to gain favor, repentance, which turns God's wrath away from the sinner. A site that I often go to when I have questions on scripture is gotquestions.org. And it sums it up like this. To reject that perfect plan is to reject God's love, his mercy, his grace, and his favor, and incur his righteous wrath. John 3:36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So the one who believes in the Son will not suffer God's wrath for his sin, because the Son took God's wrath upon himself when he died in our place on the cross. As I began attending the MOPS meeting, I had opportunities to get to know other moms around my table. When we would discuss things together, I knew that some of these moms had been through some pretty hard things, yet there was something about them that I could tell was different about them. They had peace, and they had joy, and they had hope. And when they spoke, I was drawn to them. And to be quite honest, I just wanted what they had. That was my first exposure to true, genuine Christ followers. What those ladies had was the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it was evident from the fruits in their life. In 2009, we had a speaker talk about trials that she had been through with her daughter, Kate, and how she clung to the hope that she had through her faith in Jesus. She said, I put faith over fear, and it resonated with me. We were in the middle of my pregnancy with my second son and had learned through a routine ultrasound that he had Marcus Rodown syndrome, and I needed to put faith over fear. An invitation to check the box that I wanted to know more about beginning a relationship with Christ and wanted to learn more about Kate Barber Chapel was offered at the end of her talk, and I checked both of those boxes. Sue Olson, a chapel mentor mom, reached out to me and invited our, church, our family to church. And my husband and I made plans to come one Sunday shortly after, and we heard a message that we needed to hear. The sermon preached that Sunday was titled The Beauty of Brokenness by Dan Green. At that point in our young marriage, we were facing a complicated pregnancy with a possible Down syndrome diagnosis. My husband had lost his job that had put, we had put so much security in, and our marriage was under attack. And all of this was happening the same year, within a few months. We needed the hope of the message of brokenness. We needed to be broken to let Christ put us back together again. During that service was the first time that I remember witnessing an adult baptism, a true believer's baptism, for the first time in my life. God put us there that Sunday to give me an open heart to hear the gospel with new ears and new eyes. In Corinthians 2.12, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Looking back, I know that the enemy was truly trying to destroy us. He knew that we were beginning to hear truth being taught in church and that I was surrounding myself with true believers and the enemy was threatened. In Ephesians 6.12, the Bible tells us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sisters, we have a real enemy and he hates truth and he hates light and he hates feeling threatened. 
when you aren't walking closely with the Lord, and when you're putting your trust in your own strength, you are no threat to him. He will probably leave you alone, and he'll fill you with lies. Two verses that I clung to during the year of our trials as I was opening the word and I was beginning to hear biblical truth and I was really just craving scripture was Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In John 16, 33, I've told you these things that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Those verses brought peace through one of the most uncertain years of my life. <laughs> Since then, we have continued to face trials. Becoming a Christian does not offer you a life without them. We experienced a miscarriage uh, a week after I'd become baptized. <laughs> um, I had to draw on the strength of my sisters in Christ, one of who is in this room this morning and shows up with chocolate and a book on scripture. <laughs> A few years later, our son was referred to an ortho-oncologist for a bone tumor that was discovered in his femur. And a year later, no kidding, to almost to the day, my husband slipped and fell on grass and had an x-ray and they found a bone tumor in his shoulder and was referred to the same team of oncologists in St. Louis. And praise God, although two different types of tumors, they both were diagnosed as benign. And it was such a test of will you trust me in this? And I had to have the truth pouring into me during those times. After walking with the Lord for over a decade, 2020 hit us. And can we just all pause a moment to reflect on the craziness of what we all went through that year? And again, we were hit with trials. The hospital was cutting several directors during COVID, and our family of five again was facing another job loss. Our church family rallied around us, and we were overwhelmed with his goodness and his provision through that trial. My husband took a leap of faith. He began working in his construction business that had always been just a side gig. And so many of you in this room carried us through that year by providing us with jobs for him to do. And so 2020 was my year of seeing provision. In 2021, after much prayer and seeking his will, my husband accepted a job offer at a hospital in Louisiana. Quite possibly the hardest decision to make as a family, moving eight hours away from family, all that we knew, all that we were comfortable with. But it was so, so evident that God was wanting us to trust him in this too. And now we know, again, looking back, why he took us there. I'm going to tell you a short story. There was a man named David, who was my husband, whom my husband had worked with, that was going to need to hear the gospel. He had gotten a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. He walked into my husband's office and Michael was the first person that he told. Through the remaining months of David's life, Michael shared with him the reason for the hope that we have. David had been a practicing Catholic his whole life, but he had never prayed with anyone one-on-one -on -one, and he had never heard the gospel. Michael led him to Christ, introduced him to his savior, and on the last day, God's timing is perfect, y'all, <laughs> he called Michael and he thanked him for sharing the gospel with him. Romans 10:9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Michael stopped getting texts from David shortly after we moved to Tennessee, and he looked up his name online and saw his obituary. And David is now fully alive and well in the presence of our Lord. His faith is now sight. So we now know why God took us to Louisiana for just a short eight months. As a family, we are learning to surrender with open hands the plans that he has for us. 
He tells us in James to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be complete, not lacking in anything. As strange as it may sound to consider trials pure joy, we are learning to give him praise for the trials in life, not just after he has delivered us from them, but while we are right in the middle of it. I'd like to close with reading the parable of the sower. This was one of the first uh, Bible stories that I had read that really the Lord just convicted my heart right when I read it. The parable of the sower, that same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart had become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to the, what this parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When troubles or persecutions comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the florins refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of the wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soils refers to an understanding heart. And sisters, there's no, no better decision to make. You guys are raising children who are watching you and, and looking at you and how you, you go through this life, and we will have trouble. It's, it's, it's a promise. It's not an if, it's a when. Um, and I just pray that you have a choice to respond when we hear the word. We have to ask God to examine our hearts. Just take a moment and be real with God. He already knows your hearts. What kind of heart do you have? Is it the 
I think it's the very last slide with the, you could have, yeah, the hard heart. A couple slides over to the blue ones, like the, it starts with the hard heart. The hard heart rejects God's word as an authority in life. The shallow heart is not committed to God's word as an authority in life. The grounded heart is distracted from God's word as an authority in life. The understanding heart is transformed by God's word as an authority in life. In closing, friends, it's, it's humbling to be up here speaking to y'all today because I was out there 13 years ago listening to a speaker who was bold enough to stand up here with a shaky voice and share her story. And to see how God calls people a decade ago and uses me up here, I pray, to just have spoken some kind of truth that would resonate in your hearts. To encourage you in your relationship with Christ, it's absolutely the most important decision you will ever make and the ripple effect of a legacy of a life where the mom clings to the word of God for her hope and her strength will have eternal significance. So God bless. I'm going to cry some more, and we're going to um, worship for a bit with one of my favorite songs called uh, The Goodness of God by Bethel. And just have this time, I think, does Danny have the speaker? <laughs> we're going to just have some time to talk to our Savior and, and pray while we cry. <laughs> Thank you, guys.
That song gets me every single time. <laughs>